The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Talo for lover. I'm Madeline Chapman, editor at The Spin-Off. If you have the means, consider supporting our high-quality journalism by becoming a Spin-Off member. Sign up now at thespinoff.co.nz/donate. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by Spark Lab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about Spark Lab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. Kia ora koutou katoa and welcome to Business is Boring. New Zealand manuka honey is well known for its properties aiding the immune system and skin healing and it's now a $600 million industry for the country. Less well known yet is manuka oil, especially the East Cape variety that's super high in qualities that are clinically proven to be many times more effective than the manuka honey for antibacterial and skin healing uses. One man out to change this is Stuart Cairns. Stuart started his career as a jewellery entrepreneur and ended up with a big exit to a listed company. He then became an investment banker, eventually helping build his company up to $1 billion of turnover. Looking for an interesting project after all of that, he found Manuka Oil, and it became big quite quickly. In five years, his company Manuka Bioscience has helped professionalise and grow the industry, planting 8 million manuka trees, creating scores of jobs on the East Coast, and using his brand Manuka RX to grow manuka oil as a skincare ingredient. To talk the science, the journey, and what this could mean for New Zealand Aotearoa, Stuart Kens joins us now. Tenakwe, thank you for being here. Hi, Simon. Good to be here. Thanks a lot. Hey, so tell me about your background before Manuka Bioscience. What first led you to investment banking? Right, well, before investment banking, it sort of started I, at, from university. I, um, I went to university in Otago and I got sick of um, working in the freezing works on the holidays. And I decided one holidays that, that I, in about my third year down there, or second year, third year, that I was going to do something a bit different. And I had a girlfriend who had some jewellery, and it was sort of copper bangles and copper silver-plated jewellery, and I thought, oh, I can do that. So I, um, I decided that's what I was going to do this Christmas, and I borrowed a couple of hundred bucks and, and got all the gear and made this stuff in the hotel room, in my uh, flat room, uh, I made about 5,000 of these damn bracelets. They're just copper bracelets, and I got them all silver-plated, and I had to oxidise them and make them look like antiques. And then, and then I took off. Um, I didn't have any money, and I hitchhiked from Dunedin, and I was stopping at each place that I thought might sell these things. And by the time I got to Queenstown, I had enough money for a rental car, and then I took the rental car up, the island, and by the time I got to Wellington, I had enough money to buy a combi van. And then by the time I got to Auckland, 
I had a, as much money out of, as I would have made at the freezing works, and I had a combi van, and so didn't have to work for another month, and so I thought, oh, this is great. So I went back to university that year, and a friend of mine had seen what I'd done, and he said, how about I uh, join you, and we start this jewellery business down there, which we did, and we ended up with about... Uh, three or four jewellers working for us, guys who actually knew what they were doing, and we built it into a quite, quite a good little business. So, and that was in my last year at university. I didn't finish. I was up in Auckland on a sales, sales trip, and the flat that I was living in burnt down. You know, I'd, someone left a heater against the wall, and so I lost everything except uh, an insurance policy and my passport. So I went back and I had this money from an insurance policy, which was about couple of grand or something, and I didn't finish university. I sort of um, stayed there, we kept the business going, and then I came back up to Auckland. And it was a bit more competitive in Auckland, the whole jewellery thing, but I teamed up with a re another real jeweller, and we uh, built quite a big jewellery company. Um, it... At that time, the sort of duty and sales tax on gold, on anything gold coming into the country, and it was about 40% duty, 40% sales tax, and we thought gold chain would be a good thing. So we took off to New York, and uh, we found a second-hand machinery dealer up there and decided that we'd bring some machinery back to New Zealand to make gold chain, because no one was doing it. And so we knew nothing about machinery. We, we, uh, he said, there's a guy in L.A. who might be interested in um, doing a deal. We went over to L.A. We did a deal with this guy and said, we'll buy all your machinery if you come down to New Zealand and teach us how to operate it. And we brought it all down. The stuff arrived. We had to find about 40 grand for shipping and duty and everything on the machinery, which we didn't know where we'd find. Fine. We ended up getting pulling all that together and built a gold chain business. And that went pretty well. I ended up selling that to a public company after a couple of years for quite a lot of money. And I was sort of about 30. And I, after that, I sort of um, cruised around and lived a bit of a life and played a lot of golf and things. And there were a few guys who I'd worked with um, and we decided we'd set up our own little investment bank. And we, and what that did is we just did um, investment management. We had a few contacts that we pulled in from the uh, from before that. Um, we did. We had a contract to buy agricultural assets for a, la a wealthy family, a wealthy European family. And then um, we looked at small companies on the on the share market, and we tried to take positions in them and restructure them and things. And we ended up getting a share broking license. We uh, got a team together um, of share brokers, and we grew that business over about ten to fifteen years to. To we had a revenue of about a billion, and but you know narrow it through a four percent margin, so uh, for about four million in um, net revenue, but a lot of um, a lot of money flowing through the system. But and really we'd started this from putting in ten grand each, and um, we had sixty five staff, <coughs> and we were highly geared, and it was going going really well. Um, we're doing transactions at the bottom end of the share market, 
it was yeah restructuring quite a few companies in forestry my I was in forestry and uh, oil and gas um, and then um, the stock exchange changed the rules which rightfully so we we were able to take client funds in and use them to off, offset client liabilities and when you're talking about a billion dollars you know you've got quite a bit of money sitting there they said that you'd need a every company needed a higher capital ratio and the banks were coming into the industry at that time you know the trading banks uh, BNZ and ASB and uh, ANZ were all taking positions in share broking. We couldn't raise the capital, and so we closed it down. And uh, it was we it was yeah an unhappy ending to a great sort of fifteen years. But uh, that was the investment banking career. It was really good. <laughs> what a, what a, what what a, a little story! Yeah, yeah. What, a, what a journey! And what? So, when people hear investment banking, like what? What does what does investment banking kind of mean? Because it's a pretty broad term, isn't it? It is a broad term, but it's really about matching investees with investments. It's it's um, looking after people's investments. It's we. Uh, I was uh, keen on the merger and acquisition side, so we're just working with a with a, an acquirer who wants to acquire a business. And um, so we'd have a research team looking at that industry. We'd look at the industry and decide who are the players in it and who might be interested. And, and then we'd become sort of real estate agents to go and talk to the, the people. And then, then we'd be the intermediary between the lawyer and the transaction. And we'd try and manage the process so it didn't get too tied up in the, with the legal teams and, and um, just just be part of that whole transaction process. And your path in there was probably reasonably unconventional, I guess, but is it is it something that's full of conventional um, pathways in or is investment banking somewhere where there is a bunch of creativity and interesting kind of business-minded people? I think now it's, uh, it's the, la- um, I think the, tra- the, uh, the bigger transactions are, are um, are managed by the bigger companies, and the pathway in there is sort of uh, high high qualification and internship with one of the bigger bigger players. I think there are a few smaller uh, a boutique M um, and places around, but the real path to the the big investment banks is pretty structured. Yeah, it is now. And if you think to investment banking in the 80s leading up to the share market crash, I mean, you know, the, the, these images pop to mind that I, I'm sure have been absolutely kind of, you know, um, you know, skewed by things like the Wall Street movies and all this kind of stuff. But you see some big shoulder pads and you see some long lunches. And like, how, how true is all that? You know, early cell phones and stuff. How true is all that? Pretty much. Pretty, <laughs> much, pretty much long lunches. We, uh, we used to... We used to go to Hooker Lodge for a conference, um, for conferences, and the conference was sort of just with um, ten guys and their partners, and it, it, yeah, it was it was pretty full on and pretty yeah, pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> and then coming out of so coming out of investment banking and having been in the middle of you know an enormous number of deals and also kind of on boards of listed companies and you, you know um, governance and, and 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 all kinds of things you know re- really established things. What led you to be thinking about leading your own thing? 
Well, uh, when all that happened, I worked with a, a few clients on managing a couple of projects, uh, rural projects, one large rural project, and a couple of M&A deals. That, um, and that was for about four or five years. Then I thought um, my partner and I um, bought a place at Karaka, Waiapa, and I thought we'd live the dream and um, and um, have a lifestyle block, you know, and and I thought I'd be really clever, and it had a uh, a, a large glass house and nursery, and it, we grew um, herbs, you know, rocket and and all those sort of things. And I thought, oh, this would be the way I could manage the property because I'd have a few staff looking after the um, nursery or the the hydroponic nursery, and um, they could do all the work around the property, and I'd be sort of I could do have a look at a few things. Well, it wasn't quite like that. Small business, small glass house. Plants don't have holidays. Staff <laughs> do. Staff don't. You know that level of staff doesn't turn up every day, and plants still have got to grow, and the customer still needs the stuff. So I was working harder than I'd ever worked. <laughs> <laughs> Physically, I was. You know, I was doing something like I, I had a, pedal, a thing on my wrist, and I was doing something like eighteen k's a day running around the glass house, and I was, oh, you know that. <laughs> so four or five years later, uh, we managed to sort of get out of that. And, um, and then I, uh, we shifted back into Remuera, which has been where I've sort of been brought up. And I thought, I really want to have a good shot at something that I can scale, that I can be part of that scales globally and unique to New Zealand. And, and I had these simple things. So I want to... I want it to be able to scale and I want it to be unique New Zealand where we couldn't really get competitor from, you know, from somewhere else coming in and taking us. So I went down the path of um, trying to do medical manuka, medical manuka honey wound dressing thing. And I was looking at the and I was looking at that. And while I was researching it and I went to um, talking to um, some of the honey producers and I went to a company called New Zealand Manuka in Whakatane and um, I met a guy there, Phil Kasky, who was one of the early founders of the Manuka honey industry and he worked with that Peter Molan from Waikato University and they really discovered the properties of Manuka honey and he presented to us and he said we, uh, we've got this thing called Manuka oil and, and, I, and he said I think it's just so much better than Manuka honey and is going to be bigger and offers so much more opportunity and at that time the superbug was a bit of a thing around hospitals and he'd said that uh, this Manuka oil killed the MRSAs killed the superbug and uh, it was good presentation and we went away from that and I thought boy that's interesting, and I started researching it, and you know, from the old investment banking days, having a look at the industry, having a look at uh, the market. There were so many research papers about the efficacy of the of the oil, what it did, what it, you know, um, hundreds and hundreds of research papers, and then looking at the industry, there are only really two producers, and there was Phil Kasky's operation, New Zealand Monica, and there's another company called Tairawhiti Pharmaceuticals, which is up at Te Aroa. And I thought, this is really interesting, let's develop a product, um, 
see what we can do. Uh, we developed a little yellow tube of ointment that we were going to run up against Lucas Pawpaw. Um, it was bright yellow. It was, um, we thought it, it was a natural um, healing product and we and it went really well. We uh, sold it online and we sold it through uh, retail and it went well and when I went back to Phil Kasky to buy some Manuka oil, he said we can't supply you for another nine months or something and um, so we thought, oh yeah, we're going to build this uh, Manuka oil business and we can't get any oil, that's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, we went up to the other producer, um, a guy called Mark Kerr up at uh, Tiararoa, and st- I started, we started working with him, and he was a lot more laid back and didn't see us as a big threat, and um, so we worked with him for over about two years and to get to a supply arrangement with him, and so at that point we were talking about co-shareholding and um, how it was working and New Zealand Manuka became the, the opposition or the other side and we worked with Mark to uh, just develop his business up there. It was a, he was processing all from Wild Harvest and um, we just got on really well. We enjoyed going up there. It's a long stretch, it's seven hours to get there and you know we'd go down there and spend a few days down there and, and just enjoy it. Uh, and it's such a special part of the country, the East Coast uh, and, and, and up around Te Araroa and those kind of places. T- tell me about kind of like what, what's special about East Coast, East Cape Manuka oil and kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah like you, you mentioned that it has these properties um you know, to, to help fight superbugs and stuff. Like, a lot of people will be familiar with manuka honey. But, yeah, what's different about manuka oil? Well, manuka oil comes from the leaves of the tree. Um, honey is produced by the bees who take the nectar from the tree and turn it into honey. It's a different method of action. It's got a methoglyoxal and a couple of other things in the honey and the oil the main compound that's been researched the most is the beta triketones um, they're the they're the compounds that sort of do most of the the antimicrobial work and the east cape has a level of triketones that's up around 30 percent monica throughout the rest of the country is really under five percent and so the East Cape has the special sort of, I don't know, I think it must be climate and genetics. We've taken genetics outside the area. They seem to work okay the first generation, but the second generation doesn't. Um, plants sort of adapt to their location. So there's something about it up there that um, maybe the isolation, maybe, I don't know, maybe the nice people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just grows better. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and, and that kind of, you know, like, so, so if manuka honey is kind of the manuka flower processed through a bee. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, is it stronger going to the source? Or, yeah, what's what's the difference in the actual kind of, um, I guess, you, you know, the, the way you use it or what it's used for? Well, we say that manuka oil leaves honey for toast. <laughs> <laughs> You can't eat manuka oil, you can't drink it, it really tastes terrible, <laughs> and, I, and I don't know, I think it would be pretty bad for you, but it, it tastes terrible. Honey is beautiful. To, to Oil 
because it's not processed through a bee and it's a different uh, it's a different compound, it, but it's about a thousand times more effective as an antibacterial than honey. It's just not processed. It's not processed by a bee. It's a different product, you know. Um, it's a lot easier to apply as a topical application. Um, it's pretty strong on its own, uh, really strong, too strong, so it needs a carrier, but um, it's a lot easier to work than honey, you know, thick honey, thin oil. Um, and what kind of stuff? So you've mentioned the antibacterial and the antibug stuff. Like what other properties does it have? Is Manuka honey especially is known? I guess if I think about it, I go to like immune systemy stuff and um, wound healing and wound knitting and stuff. Is it is it in that kind of camp? When you combine oil and honey, you, you're about 40 times more effective as in a wound dressing, and it's been used in, as a wound dressing in the UK for a long, quite a long time. It's, it's a broad-spectrum antimicrobial. Honey's sort of known for its antibacterial properties. Monica oil's broad-spectrum spe- antimicrobial. That means it's antibacterial, it's antiviral, it's antifungal, it's antioxidant. We say it's anti-everything. It's, it, it, um, and there's evidence right through a spectrum of, of to, um, a lot more actives and a lot more activity than honey, you know, and different things. It's antiviral and um, research that's going on at the moment shows it's really powerful antiviral, um, possibly good for... All sorts of viruses, you know. Um, yeah, much more powerful, probably straight from the source where honey's not. Yeah, awesome. We'll be back in a moment to hear how Stuart Ken's built up Manuka Bioscience and is building an industry around Manuka oil to take it to the world. Spark is proud to partner with the Sustainable Business Network and the Climate Action Toolbox. The free Climate Action Toolbox can provide you with simple step-by-step guides to measure and reduce your emissions. Help lead the way to a low-carbon future for New Zealand. Visit sparklab.co.nz forward slash sustainability to find out more. Tired of diesel buses? Want more cycle lanes or bus lanes? Which projects do you want Auckland Transport to work on first? They need your opinion. So head to haveyoursay.at.govt.nz forward slash RLTP to do just that. Consultation closes on 17 June. Get in quick. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And we're back with Stuart Kens, co-founder and CEO at Manuka Bioscience. Yeah, how's this journey been for you? Like, you know, from getting in, you, you know, at, at the beginning thinking you'd like to get to something that can scale. What stage are you at now on that journey? And um, yeah, how, how's it been for you? Well, we're still a startup. It's only five years old or uh, six years old, five years old, I think. And um, 
yeah, it's still a startup, and we have normal startup um, pains and probably too many opportunities for us to chase. Um, we've got a a lot happening in our science programs, and um, that the the real challenge is to focus on the limited resources on the on on single opportunities or or as fewer opportunities as possible. Um, we have lots of markets that uh, we, we supply bulk oil to around about 26 different countries. Um, the, that's not where we want to go. We want to turn that bulk oil into added value product in New Zealand. And then it's the challenge that any sort of exporting companies sort of going to face is getting into those markets and how do we do that in the best way and our competition is um, tea tree oil or um, patchouli oil or other ingredients that we're competing with rather than our Manuka oil competitors in New Zealand. And if I think about something like tea tree oil, I probably think about Thursday plantation or something like that at the supermarket with their dandruffy and, you know, natural underarm um, deodoranty things. Um, is that the kind of thing? So you've got at the moment uh, Manuka RX, which is skincare, like high-end, lovely, lovely kind of skincare stuff. Is it also kind of, you know, building out things like that? Like what kind of products would you see Manuka oil being in and being kind of synonymous with being good for stuff? Yeah. Yes, good question. Um, we... When we started with that yellow tube and the different products that we were doing, this is when my co-founder and myself were doing it, you know, two old men, um, we didn't have that much creative flair around about uh, about design and packaging. And we, and we were looking at Thursday Plantation and we were copying their products or doing similar products to them but using Manuka oil. But in terms of looking at it as a brand and a collection of products, it wasn't sort of right. And if we wanted to grow this globally as an e-commerce brand, a tube of ointment that fixes your problem is not a repeat sort of sale. So, and it's not a high value sale. So for $29 for a tube of ointment, it takes away your, ex your eczema or, or your... Um, foot fungus or something and you don't buy it again until you get the problem back and as a as a part of the business model for e-commerce it just wouldn't work so that's when we got some uh, marketing specialists in we got some a fantastic marketing team and they sort of morphed us over and changed the brand to more skincare products which have a higher sales value and a higher repeat value and so that's where the model has changed. I do see us perhaps creating another brand or working with someone else to create another brand in that Thursday plantation um, type space where you've got hair products, you've got um, all the things that Manuka oil is good for. We're just really focused on that e-commerce because it's a way of growing the global awareness of the, of the oil and the ingredient itself. What would your advice be to people who, yeah, might discover something that they think has this potential? Um, you know, how do you go about 
building up a business around it and building up the support and, yeah, making it into a thing? Well, you just get passionate about it and and do it, really. Um, there's a logical step. There's, there's a lot of people around who help and um, identify the opportunity, put a bit of planning around it, but don't, don't sort of be negative. Don't think of all the bad things and think about the good things. As you get older, you think more about the bad things. You know, you think more about the risk management and you don't really want to get there. Uh, I've always been had a reasonably high propensity for risk, but um, when you're younger, you can, you know, you can really uh, go for it and look. Reach out to people. I found people have just been so helpful, and and we're talking now of people who've been into US markets, people who've been into all sorts of markets, and the advice that we're getting is just there and just so helpful. You know, just yeah. just step by step. And there's some great, you know, stories like Trilogy that, you know, did a fantastic job for kind of rosehip oil. And you've got Sarah Wickens from Trilogy on the board. Is that right? Sarah has been on the board. She's now, she's about to leave the board, unfortunately. She's been great on the board. She's got another conflicting position, a position that may create a conflict of interest. So um, she she won't be with us forever, but she has been a great contributor. She was a real success story in growing that that brand from the garage to sort of sale of um, to to global interest in the end. Um, there's a couple of really powerful New Zealand brands in different areas. Antipodes is another fantastic brand which is going extremely well. Asano is a is a is a sort of a supermarket brand that's that's in three thousand stores in um, in the US now, and we've got some really good things happening in skincare in New Zealand, and it's a it's an added value product that we can create here and add good value and. We can do it competitively. Yeah. And as a final thought, you know, 8 million trees planted, you know, scores of jobs uh, created, you know, like um, th these ranges going. Like, what will success be for you? You know, it already looks from the outside like a lot's been accomplished. But, yeah, what will success be for you personally and for Manuka Bioscience and, and its products? Yeah, it's a long it's a long journey, I think. And, and if you take that Sauvignon Blanc and Marlborough, and, and that that's a long journey. And um, I think creating the the an industry on the East Cape that provides sustainable employment is a really good part of what we're doing. Um, then to have a New Zealand brand that that is. Available and you know, see it in every duty-free store when you go when you're flying to wherever. I think the success for me is seeing this New Zealand product, unique New Zealand product, globally. So cool. Well, thank you so much for coming and sharing the story, and can't wait to see the growth of Manuka Oil uh, into the future. Thanks very much for having me, Simon. Thank you. So thank you to Stuart Gens, thank you to you for listening, and for everyone who helps make this happen, like our producer, Ethan Jupe. Do follow Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts, and be sure to rate and leave a review if you like what we do. Enohora. From the Spin-Off Podcast Network, that was Business is Boring, brought to you by Spark Lab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts.
And for more information on SparkLab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Kia ora e te iwi, te Aihe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spin-Off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.